Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on February 27th, Lord's Day Service. This morning is the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. Leviticus 16, beginning in verse 3. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with a linen turban shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. Picking up at verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the holy, on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement for the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of it on on his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. When he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for declaring unto us how our Lord was manifested to take away our sins and destroy the works of the devil. May we receive this word and rejoice in it. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The last time we read about the Day of Atonement, 
we saw that the purpose was twofold. It was to remove the sins of the people and bring the priest before God. The priest could come before God when the blood, both of a bull, which was the priest's offering, and of a goat, that was the offering for the people, that blood would be sprinkled in the most holy place. They were preparing it, cleansing it, so that the priest could come into God's presence. Leviticus centers on the hope of coming back to God. Leviticus 16 is the primary chapter in this entire book, and I would say the, the primary chapter in the entire Pentateuch, the first five books, because it shows the way for man to return to God, which is what happens in the end of Scripture, the revelation of Christ to the Apostle John. There are several parts to the Day of Atonement. As I already said, you have the cleansing of the holiest place, sprinkling blood, the high priest would go in to meet with God. But that's one half of the story. The other half, the other question is, what do we do with our sin? It's great to talk about going before God. But you can only go so far if you've got a ball and chain attached to your leg. We are sinful creatures. Not only from the sin of our father Adam, but our own sin. The things that we do that are displeasing to God. And that's just the things that we know about. That's not even counting the things that are an offense to the holiness of God that we don't know about. You say, how can I be held accountable for that? Well, let's just say, don't even worry about that. There's enough that we do that we know is wrong to send us to hell a million times over. But to answer the question of what to do with our sin, even for the people in the Old Testament, for God's people there, there was a picture. They did not have great books of theology from which to draw. They could not, all of them, take a, one of the many books off of their shelves and say, let's read about this now. They didn't have that. They had, at the time, these pictures given to them. And this day, the Day of Atonement, was the primary picture. And when it comes to how to handle sin for the people, the answer is two goats. One would be a sacrifice. The other would go into the wilderness to Azazel. Probably not a Hebrew word that you commonly talk about in your home. Definitely not one we talk about in mine. And we'll talk about what this is soon, but lots were cast to determine which goat would be which. The closest thing we have to lots is something like dice. No, this is not permission to go home and gamble and say, well, if it was good enough for the Old Testament, it's good enough for me. That's not the point. God ordained that this happen. This is how they would distinguish which goat would be the sacrifice and which would go into the wilderness. We're pretty comfortable with the language of sacrifice. We know that Jesus is our sacrifice. We've been taught that enough. But what about 
this Hebrew word, azazel, which is translated in our Bibles, scapegoat. Well, to understand what happens to our sin, we need to understand a little bit more about this word. We, we commonly think of the second goat, the, the live goat, the one that would go into the wilderness. That's the one we just call the scapegoat. So you have the, the goat who would be killed, and then you have the other goat, the scapegoat. But actually, if you look at the text of Scripture, the, the grammar doesn't work out. Look with me again in verse 8. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord. So in other words, one of those goats goes to the Lord, and the other for the scapegoat. So one goat goes to the Lord, the other for the scapegoat. So if you are literal in your translation, you would say one goat to the Lord, one goat to the scapegoat. So it only, asks, it only brings up more questions. Some words at times are toned down in their translation because either A, the translators are not sure of the Hebrew meaning, or in some modern cases, we are afraid of the mythical significance. We don't know how to handle some of these things. So we give it a, a nice sounding word that nobody's really ever heard of, and hopefully not many people will ask questions. In ancient mythology, though, Azazel was much more commonly known. He was a powerful demon, one that was in the shape of a goat, similar, actually, to the creature that some of you, if you've studied much Greek mythology, may be familiar with called a satyr. Do you know that satyrs are actually mentioned in the Bible? If you look with me just over in the next chapter... In Leviticus 17, verse 7, he says, There shall no more, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons or to devils after whom they have played the harlot. That word demons or devils is actually best in the original language translated as a satyr, a goat demon. So they were not to offer sacrifices to this being. Now, of course, if you're like me, the first time I ever heard some of these things, I thought, this is, I'm, we're supposed to be hearing about Jesus in the Day of Atonement. What are you talking about this for? Because there has to be a place where our sin, for our sin to go. Some extra biblical Jewish literature, so Jewish writers, not, in, not the scripture, but outside of scripture, identifies Azazel as one of the fallen angels, which is an idea embraced by some of the church fathers and even referenced by John Milton in Paradise Lost. We have to be comfortable with something that a lot of times in our very protected modern bubbles we don't have to deal with. Scripture is a wild book filled with wild places. It is dangerous and the beings that God's people deal with are dangerous. We still to this day do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. And no, that's not just talking about Amazon that sells on Sunday. That's talking about real beings who have our destruction in mind. Spiritual warfare didn't stop in the Old Covenant. It continues. 
So we must become comfortable with the fact that the truth presented in Scripture defies our modern naturalistic view of the world. But here, let me remind you, though we are in a war we cannot actively see with our physical eyes, it is still also true that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. The Israelites knew that wherever God's presence dwelt was holy ground. The land where Israel encamped, wherever they would go to, to, to camp, the center of their camp was the tabernacle the place of worship. They would actually put the flags, the standards of every tribe around the tabernacle, crudely imitated actually by something like the United Nations, which has the flags of all the member countries. In Israel, the tabernacle would actually have the flags of all the different tribes, and in whatever direction that flag was, that's where that tribe was encamped. But outside the camp of Israel, outside where everyone dwelt, was something else entirely. Outside the camp is where you put unclean things, whether it's the entrails of the sacrificial animals, the dead bodies, and even lepers were sent outside the camp. This is where they burned things that were unclean. We can see this even in verse 27. In Leviticus 16, it says that the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought to the make atonement for the holy place shall be carried outside the camp and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. So inside the camp was clean. It's where God and his people dwelt. Outside was unclean. In verse 21 we see Aaron lay his hand on the living goat and he would confess over him the sins of Israel. So when he would do this, he's symbolically placing on them all the sins that the people have committed. And they would see this. They would see this goat that Aaron was holding and he would speak over this goat. Then the man, a man who was appointed would lead this goat into the wilderness outside the camp where the unclean trash, the wild beasts, and even the devils dwelt. But when they would send this goat out to the unclean place, this was not to appease Azazel. No. Think of it like this. This goat is full of sin, and we're going to send the devil our trash. That's the picture. He gets the junk. That's where we send all things that are unclean. So there's two parts to this atoning work. One, on one hand, you have a goat who is an offering to Yahweh. He paves the way, in a sense, for the for the people, represented by the priest, the people to come to God. And then the other, sin, the other goat carries sins into the unclean darkness. It's not just coming into God's presence that matters. You have to have your sin taken. Because anyone who goes into God's presence who is not cleansed from sin will die. And it happened. 
both of these goats teach us about the work of Christ. Jesus is our offering, the one who goes before us, who cleanses us that we can come into his presence. And the book of Hebrews is essentially a commentary on what we have that is much greater in the new covenant, that ex but it explains what was going on in the old covenant. So Hebrews is a type of commentary on Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, at least the, the portions about worship there. Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14 says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So in Hebrews 9 Verses 11 through 14, the writer of Hebrews, he takes all these various offerings and sacrifices and he collapses them into one series of statements. He, he brings them together and he says they all culminate in the offering that was brought on the Day of Atonement. But they had to do that every year. Once was not enough. It was, an, it was a yearly thing. But he says that Jesus, our perfect offering, purifies us from dead works to serve God. Going back to Hebrews 9, verses 24 and 25, he says, For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should not not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. So Jesus only had to do this once. No longer would the worshipers accumulate sin and uncleanness which had to be purged yearly. Because, brother and sister, of the work of Christ, once for all, you were clean. And you remain clean. And you cannot take all the sin back on yourself. But still, what about us? What happens to your sin and to mine? Well, Jesus dealt with that too. Because he is not only our sacrifice. He's not only the one whose blood cleanses us in the heavenly places, who makes us fit to come to the Father. But he is the one who took our sins in death. The New Testament, again, in the book of Hebrews, refers back to this action of going outside. Just like this, this goat, the living goat, the, the sinful goat, was, was taken outside the camp. We're told the same thing about Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 13, 
verses 11 and 12, he says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So Jesus, just like these animals that were taken out, Jesus suffered outside of Jerusalem. He went to the place that was considered ceremonially unclean. You didn't want to have a crucifixion on the city square. So he was taken out. And it was no accident that he was taken outside the camp because it's outside the camp where all the unclean things, the unclean animals would go. He took our sins, took our uncleanness on himself, and he went with them to the grave. But here's where the similarity between Jesus and the sinful goat stops. That goat was unclean, and he would be destroyed. He would be killed. If you go out, even if you take a purely naturalistic view of what was going on here, if a goat is let out into the wilderness, he's going to be eaten. Now, some tradition says that he was even led up to a mountain and pushed off because at the worst, you would never want the unclean goat to find its way back to the camp. That would be terrible. But Jesus, though he took our sin, was still not unclean. The prophet Micah says it like this in Micah 7, 19. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cleanse all their sins, excuse me, cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. Jesus doesn't just bear our iniquities. Jesus, using a military word, subdues our iniquities. He overcomes them. He binds them. Jesus defeated sin and cast it into that other great picture of chaos. The wilderness is one picture of chaos and uncleanness. The other great picture of chaos in Scripture is... We've heard this in the last several weeks, the sea. Jesus takes our sins. He binds them and he casts them into the place where they belong. He sends our sin back to the devil. He overcomes it. He, the perfect one, could, sin could not bring him down. Yes, he died descending, as we confess each week, into Hades. But that was not the end. Though Jesus went to the unclean place, he went to death. Death could not overcome him as it did that goat. While they did not want the goat to come back, Jesus did come back, and he came back in greater power and greater glory, and yet he's going to come again, and he's going to be in greater power and glory than we have ever beheld. And we will not be disappointed that he has returned because he is the perfect one. 
And because he is perfect, sin, death, and the devil were defeated. Once our sins were removed, we can now enter then Yahweh's presence. Once the sin is taken away, and our Holy One has returned, you can say, that's great, but what about me right now? Because to borrow a line from C.S. Lewis, tomorrow is still Monday. What do we do now? The author of Hebrews answers that. In, the last, in those verses, right after it said that Jesus was crucified outside the camp. Verse 13, Hebrews 13, 13, Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Boy, it was nice when you're talking about the victory of Christ, but now you're talking about us bearing the reproach, and can't we talk about something else? No, just as Jesus went outside the camp sacrificing his life for us, we are called also to go outside the camp to the places where the message is needed. Verse 14, when he tells us to go outside the camp, he says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. You know, that's the second time in Hebrews he talks about those faithful who look for a city. The first was Abraham. And then he lumps Abraham in with all the faithful who are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, but they couldn't find it. So in the end of this letter to the Hebrews, he says, we have no continuing city, but we are seeking one. So we are called as saints right now to follow Christ. We have to go outside this city, outside these walls, to the place that is unclean. We want it to be clean, but there will never be a place on this earth where it's going to be perfect. I can probably, if I ask for testimony, get testimony from you that even the church is not perfect. We're called, though, to follow Christ going outside and seek the city of God. Because just like Jesus, when he went down into death, he went down, he suffered not as victim, but as victor. He was not, yes, in one, you can certainly say he was, injustice was cast upon him, but he did not go there as a victim. He went as the one who would bring salvation. But so too for us, when we suffer for righteousness, when we bear his reproach, we do not suffer as victims, but as victors. Because the same work of Christ has been given to us. The final day of atonement was 2,000 years ago, and we were cleansed permanently. So now, you and I are called to follow Christ outside the church, into the world, blessing our neighbors, living before the face of God, seeking His city, His peace, and establishing pockets 
of the new creation wherever we go. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the promises of your word. Grant us to live accordingly and to bless your name as we suffer your reproach. In Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh, yeah.